All right, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here, Trung Fan, Jack Butcher, and Bilal Zaidi. Just to kick it off straight away this week, we got meme of the week. We're going to start every episode with a meme, probably. So this is one. Who wants to go for it? If you're, if you're listening to this and not watching the screen, this one had us rolling in a group chat. Go on, Jack or Trung, hit it, boys. Jack, you posted it, bro. How did you find it? And tell me your, your visceral reaction. Explain the, explain the meme. I... I... I don't know where I found it, man. I was just probably, you know, just many clicks deep on the, <laughs> on an adventure through Twitter last night. But you've seen this guy before, Hasbulla. Well, let's read it. Let's read it out first. Uh, this, it's, so the caption is, Mother, motherfucker said I had a disability. Yeah, disability to get this bread. <laughs> the guys, the little kid with the stacks of money in his yeah, ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's Incredible. a little kid. Okay, so for the listener, there's a little kid... Is sitting in an airplane seat with just bricks of money, and the disability joke again. I don't want to. I don't want to kill the horse, but it's so fun. Jack sent it. I was. I was literally laughing out loud. You know when you write LOL and like you never. But are you're not really. LOLing? Yeah. No, this one you're like, actually laughing out loud. Ninety-nine percent of the time I write LOL, my straight, my face is just straight, like a straight face. Yeah. There's no LOL. This one, Jack posted, and it's this kid. And he's just got these bricks. And so I checked the feed and this guy Hasbullah just has about 20 tweets with this kid. I think he's like a, must be some rich influencer kid from Russia. But this, this man, this meme, unbelievable, man. I'm going to use it. I have to use that line somewhere. Motherfuckers so say I good. got a disability. Yeah, I got disability. <laughs> so dumb. All right. Anyway, this, well, this, well, this, this go, guy go, is go, like. Go. We need to do our research on this guy, but this guy is like a meme sensation. Hasbullah, I think, uh, Eastern European meme sensation. His uh, header, <laughs> the header of his um, Twitter profile, he's with uh, Khabib. Oh, the the fighter? Oh, yeah. UFC guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Killing this it. guy's like real mega high profile, but man, I don't even know if this is, it says fan page. So maybe this is just his fan page, but man. Huge. 300,000 really, likes. 300,000 I mean, likes. It's very like fitting this week, boys, because it's been a bit of a crazy, yeah, terrible man. week in the market. Everything's been red. The only thing we can do is laugh. So yeah, that's, that's what we're helping the listeners today. So, boys, let's tell people what we're talking about today. We've got, this is going to be deep edge of the internet discussion. So we've got Moxie, the founder of Signal. He wrote this amazing blog post on kind of like a critique or summary of Web3, and we're going to break that down today. Also, uh, Vitalik, the founder of Ethereum, um, he kind of wrote a response, and we're going to kind of have a discussion around that. And then, let me scroll down here. We're also going to talk about LooksRare, which is an OpenSea competitor, which just launched, and uh, they dropped a Looks airdrop. There was an airdrop that people could claim if they've, um, I think, transacted more than three ETH on OpenSea. So we're going to break down what they did there is quite interesting. And uh, lastly, we're going to talk about Nas, the rapper who we've covered on the podcast before. Uh, he had an NFT drop on a platform called Royal. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then lastly, Paradigm and Sequoia investing in Citadel, just to cap it off. So, boy, should we kick this off with Moxie? So l- let's paint a picture of who Moxie is and Signal, because I think a lot of people have heard of Signal, but I think it's important to just kind of share the background of what signal is and why it's you know why it's unique in the first place because um that's that's part of his critique 
Trung, I think you you were looking into yeah, this Yeah, I'll get into it. Uh, there's a really good New Yorker article about Moxie Marlinspike, which is uh, his full name. That's not his actually government name, but that's the name he goes by. So uh, <laughs> I love saying government name, right? <laughs> Same. Um, yeah, yeah. So Moxie uh, Signal is a competitor to WhatsApp, a competitor to Telegram. It is a uh, But the key is this. It, it Moxie created the end-to-end encryption. So end-to-end encryption basically means the only people that can see the message are the sender and the receiver. Uh, so if the government or a corporate entity tries to read what's being sent from one end to the other, all they see is gibberish. So he's a cryptographic genius, right? Like he's a legend in the cryptography space, really close friends with Edward Snowden, who obviously exposed the NSA for their spying uh, programs. So Moxie is very interesting because Signal, when uh, WhatsApp was down or uh, during the January 6th insurrection last year, people were concerned about uh, using different communication apps. I mean, Signal spikes whenever there's a question around privacy, right? And he's a very like underpaid CEO for what he does. So Signal is a nonprofit. He makes in the low hundreds of thousands a year. And actually, he just resigned as the CEO yesterday. And the interim CEO of Signal is Brian Acton, a former co-founder of WhatsApp. And what gets interesting with Acton is he left Facebook because Zuck had promised him when they made the deal in 2014 that WhatsApp would not do advertising. But listen, if you're dropping 19 billion, you're going to try to get some, you you want you some of that, that bread. you want to show disability. Get disability, that's what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like if you're spending 19 billion on WhatsApp, you're going to try to get some of that money back, son. And uh, so he was at, uh, so Brian Acton and Jan Coombe, the co-founders, they've left Facebook. And Acton, so people criticize Acton because he he's critical of Facebook, but he also got paid, right? And uh, so like he's like yeah, he's, he's, a little bit. Yeah, people say exactly, right? Yeah. So he's a big uh, he was a big hashtag delete Facebook guy, but people are like yo, you cake like you made like five bill from Facebook, but he did actually leave Facebook and leave like uh, I think close to a billion in uh, unvested equity. So he gets to play that card. Anyways, he floated started the foundation related to Signal, and he has been funding Signal out of his own pocket because Signal is a nonprofit. It depends on uh, basically the largesse of the community uh, donations and also these side deals that they won't talk about, but basically they provide encryption technology to a lot of corporate players. Um, but so he, like he's a he's a cryptography legend, as you yeah. said. Like he knows about it well, and obviously crypto... Yeah. Which nowadays has been rebranded almost. To exactly. A, a lot of the basis of that was cryptography. So he's not yep. just some random dude. Exactly. Or some think boy on Twitter. Like he's a legit dude. <laughs> Which is why this is such, this is why such punch, such a like Elon just uh, uh, replied to this morning, right? He yeah. agreed. Uh, uh, Jack Dorsey retweeted it and put a comment. Uh, Brian Armstrong, Balaji, and Vitalik all had to reply to it, right? Because this wasn't just some armchair quarterback. This is like Mr. Cryptography being like, listen, I took a look under the hood and I'm telling you what I found, right? He made he made a couple dApps. He made like a yeah, NFT thing. Yeah, he made the dApps. Dude, I've been talking project. on this podcast with you guys for almost a year. I still haven't bought an NFT yet. <laughs> yeah. This guy's out here making dApps and buying and creating his own NFT. So uh, Moxie... Let's get into the nitty gritty of uh, of his paper. So it's called uh, First Impressions with Web3. So let me rattle off 
kind of his main three top points. And I'd love to hear your guys' initial reaction to it. And then I think Bilal, you're going to talk about the Vitalik response. Is that right? Yeah. You okay. can uh, break it down. So hey, the very first thing that Moxie bullet points is, uh, and, and to Bilal's initial point, he went through, created dApps, created NFTs. He wanted to see what was under the hood. So his very first a summary comment is, people are lazy, right? The average user, something we've talked about NIA, they want centralization. Like they just do. Not every single person wants to have a node on their cell phone. And this, this just human nature uh, is what he found when he looked at the Web3 industry. And he spoke specifically to his NFT example. So he looked at the NFTs and he was curious to see how basically that NFT is being represented in his phone versus the websites for Rarible, which is an OpenSea competitor, and then OpenSea itself, which is a $13 billion NFT marketplace. So he's interacting with all these basically quote-unquote centralized NFT players. And what he's seeing is that, so not only is the crypto community and Web3 moving towards kind of these central players and relying on these central players, which we've talked about, the actual mechanics of the NFTs themselves are also centralized. So you're basically doing API calls to two uh, uh, industry players. I don't know the names, maybe you guys do, but they're basically the ones that are telling you whether or not the blockchain information is accurate. You yourself can look like you, me, Jack and Bilal, we could all go look ourselves, but a lot of people are just relying on like these two industry players to tell you whether or not it's true. So not only are people kind of lazy and which is totally fine, right? It's consumer behavior. The industry itself is also just kind of defaulting to a lot of these central choke points. So that was his point about uh, NFTs uh, not, uh, and the uh, Web3 in general. He's like, he thinks that they are just naturally going to gravitate towards centralization for the consumer behavior angle. And I'm not and saying whether just, or not... Sorry, just to ahead. add one thing, the way he kind of described it, if I'm interpreting this correctly, is he said people don't want to run their own servers. That was kind of like a thing. Yeah, that was the main point. And and it's and again, like you know, we all use websites every day. We use email. Like we don't know what's going on behind the hood most of the time. And it's yeah. something we've talked to actually on the podcast a little bit before. Um, is just that people don't like the. I guess the open question is how much do people care about this word decentralization? So right. we'll talk more about it after. But go go for your other two two points. Well, uh, you know what? I think we should keep the conversation. So I would love Jack's opinion on this first point. The other point he brought up about OpenSea. And, and he's not even saying like, this is wrong. He's like, this is what I'm experiencing. And we talked about it. It's like, it's so expensive to do these transactions, right? He's like, if OpenSea just went in the web two model, they just kept a public record. It would be a better of, Yeah, it'd be a more, it would literally be a more usable experience. But then um, he actually writes it too, right? He understands why. He's like, there wouldn't be this gusher of money into the industry if there wasn't this decentralized aspect of it, right? So it is important. And the last thing I'll wrap it up with before, because I know uh, Jack is just like boiling as a, as a volcano right here. He's got ideas. Uh, <laughs> is he basically said, I understand what the response is going to be. And it basically, that's ended up what happened. But Vitalik more or less said, we understand that there's a chasm between what we say we want to create and what it will look like in its end state. We're trying to cross that chasm. So he basically predicts that this will be the Web3 response. And he says, well, my response to that is, this is Mox's response. It looks like to me that this thing's just going to gravitate naturally towards centralization. Like it's been whatever, almost a decade. And he's just looking at the mechanics of it. And he's like, it, 
it makes more sense to me in his initial view that this thing actually will just gravitate towards centralization because of Bilal's point there. It's like, people don't want to run servers on their phone. They just don't. And, and that's his position. So, so if there's a UX hack that will change all that, that will be the game changer. And I'm sure that's what Vitalik talked about. But Jack, hit us. Do, Bilal, why don't you do Vitalik's response first? Yeah, I yeah. I think we have it all set up. Yeah, there. so then we can oh, just okay. discuss some of the main points. But uh, I was just going to say, it sounded like he was like Eminem 8 Mile in it there. Like, he knows what people are going to respond. Yeah. So he like preemptively <laughs> yes. says, Bro. You know, I do live oh, in yeah. a trailer park. I do, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I do live in a trailer. Yo, um, Rabbit did do my girl. I don't yeah, care, exactly. right? He did shoot himself, you know. Like, but anyway, um, no, I think that was a great summary. I'm just going to call it a couple things I'd highlighted as well. Um, so he kind of starts off saying Web3 is is ambiguous, which we've talked about before. People don't want to run their own servers. I, I think uh, one thing he called out, which I thought was interesting, was uh, protocols move much more slowly oh, than platforms. Yeah. And the example he gives is email versus WhatsApp. He says email has been around for 30 plus years. Email is still unencrypted, whereas WhatsApp was able to do this in a few years. Using uh, his they... signal technology. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah it's, and... his, it's his technology. Oh, amazing. And, you know, that is obviously a centralized company, you know, uh, run by Great Facebook. Great point. And um, he also calls out UI, like there's a lack of attention for UI. He was quite surprised that, you know, we're this many years in, there aren't great mobile interfaces uh, is something he called out as well. And uh, yeah, so that was the only kind of a other thing I want to call out. On Vitalik's rebuttal, I guess, if you want to call it that. Now, I'll premise this, but I'll preface this by saying the first screenshot he has like i don't understand half of what it is i've read it a few times because it's there's a lot of like technical stuff but the kind of summary i had was he, he kind of starts off by saying um we're we're kind of in a a missing middle he said so yeah we're, we currently have something that is centralized but easy and decentralized but hard Right, and he's saying then there's a need for something in between. Uh, it's kind of what I took from it. Um, and his his take is that the new tech that we're that is being created and being worked on will get us to that point. Um, he also kind of calls out the way uh, Moxie dis- talks about servers, um, and basically said the word server, in his opinion, is not very useful in a blockchain context. Then there's a whole bunch of examples he gives, which he says, this is how people can interact with a blockchain today. The first one being using a Binance or uh, Coinbase, you know, like a centralized system. And then he rattles off seven other examples, which we don't need to go into. And they're basically like technical differences, like staking, like, you know, whatever. Um, So that was kind of um, the the first part. And then his, his eventual point is to say, it's still early is kind of my take on it and kind of what um he had said that they were gonna respond with is kind of what he said right um and he's saying that right now there isn't that much cryptography happening but what is gonna happen in the coming years is very like cutting edge and he calls out a lot of the stuff that's being worked on to achieve that and then lastly he kind of calls for what he thinks is a need for like a lighter chain Right, because right now, like the critique of Ethereum specifically uh, in the first post was like, it's too expensive. You know, like if for me to do this on OpenSea, you might as well just use a debit card and it would be a better experience. And what he's saying is, yeah, we know that. And that is why we're moving to proof of stake. 
which is you know the the big plan for uh, ethereum in the next uh, you know six months or so um and the the last point i'll say is which i actually think was quite an interesting take which was general users don't really care necessarily what's under the hood but developers do and he said that people will follow what developers choose as their default most of the time and i think that's quite an interesting point because speaking to developers and speaking to you know people building in the space you know everything has been built primarily on ethereum in this in this world and now there's a few other blockchains that uh, are becoming prominent as well but if they can win over developers then i think they're in a good place um so again i, I think we can link to both of those in the in the description below um but that was kind of my take on it which was we we are early there hasn't been enough investment until the last five years he described and now we're getting there and a lot of the legwork is to be done and we, we think we'll be able to move away from the current status quo and uh, there's no reason the status quo tomorrow needs to be what it is today that was kind of how i took it but was there, you guys read it as well was there anything i missed out that you think is worth calling out that was oh, great man it. Cool. Yeah. And if you're, if you're listening to that and that didn't make that much sense, I would say just click the description and read what it says. Probably take you five minutes. Um, but let's times get on. five those, like five times you have to read it. So it's 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's minutes, true. Really. 25 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, yeah. What I, the only thing I wanted to add was I loved your eight mile analogy. It, it just Moxie goes in there. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys are going to say X, Y, Z. Let me respond to that right now. But anyways, man, that's uh, I love that. That was great. But, man. So you guys have read it. I think, you know, we don't have time to go for every single response from Brian Armstrong and everyone else. But I think these two are the two main ones. Yeah. My, I'll just say my personal take. I think what Moxie wrote was very, was was pretty good, and I think it was pretty fair. It was like pretty fair criticism for a lot of the things we've discussed on the on the podcast. Like we did a whole episode on inflection points of Web three, and some of these things are things we discussed. Um, but I don't know what what do you guys think, Jack. I know you've been you know obviously heavily working in the space, you know, creating NFTs, doing all that sort of stuff. Like, what did you think when you, when you saw this? I, I agree. Like if you're trying to critique it through the lens of like a software developer, that's like shipping tools for people, like billions of users. Like, I think that like that perspective is completely valid. Like this is not a, this is not the infrastructure that we can build the tools that we currently use on top of today. Like that's completely fair and true. And I think the other side of it is like, there's totally fair criticism coming in response to like, this is a solution for everything in like some of the narratives that have been perpetuated for the last, like, I don't know, year at this point. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of crypto's growth, a lot of NFT's growth, a lot like is like it hasn't it hasn't come from I don't know, I think the strongest arguments for like on the crypto side, sound money, all of the like principles that are like maybe a, a Jack Dorsey would would stand behind are more to do with solving problems that we the three of us on this call do not experience on a daily basis right, right. like yeah unbanked people currency manipulated into like 
the quadrillions of decimal points and that idea of like trying to look at like open C and see why it's like a logical product. It's like, it's not, it's not right. It's just a complete yeah. <laughs> like JPEG casino of people messing about. Like yeah. that's what it is. Like, and I think some of these critiques while someone like Uber qualified to build tools can come and say, yeah, you can't build signal on top of this tomorrow. It would be too expensive. Very fair. Uh, but also like, there's just something interesting about the fact that people feel the need to respond to it. Right. Or like feel like it's gotten big enough where it's like, I have to have an opinion on it. Um, where I mean, maybe it was largely just like skating underneath the focus of people like this for a long time. Cause it wasn't in the culture in the same way it is now. And I'm like, I'm personally like you read some of the stuff and you're like, this is, you know, It's, it's really hard to figure out like the um, kind of the builders from the like the LARPers or the speculators yeah. or the whoever. Else. And there's nothing wrong with either of those two things. I think what's wrong is like saying one thing and doing another. Right? Yeah, like, like conflating and, and, and I think we talked a little bit about this in the Jack Dorsey episode like conflating the two the two and then also kind of like the moral high ground we're saving the world stuff and then combining that all into one big thing i think can become a little annoying for people and um like he actually in the original post he kind of ends it near the end talking about what is driving this gold rush and his take was a lot of this is because of speculation which again i don't think he's necessarily saying is a bad thing but I, I think we all probably agree with that. Yeah, hundred percent. Of course, NFTs, of course, right? Like, um, there's a difference between just pure speculation versus seeing some utility value being created, real use cases, and then speculation on top of that. And I think we've obviously got a bit of both in this case. Yeah, I think there's like financial speculation and there's technical speculation yep. too, right? It's like yeah, we're building this thing, it. technology will come out of it. Right now, it's a bunch of people that like bought Ethereum in 2014 that are selling each other pictures of ducks or whatever it is. Like <laughs> there, maybe there's some useful use case comes out of that. Maybe it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then the market made its decision and we'll move on and go back to building whatever else we were doing. Like his point about like, it would be easier to implement OpenSea as a, like a debit card transaction. It might be easy to build, but nobody would use it. Right. It's like yeah, the incentives completely. are just in a different order. Well, he acknowledges that, right? I, yeah, I think for sure. Yeah, I'm not. Think, I'm not disagreeing with anything he said. It's just uh, like uh, the notion that like product market fit comes from the fact that there are a hundred thousand people that want to mess about and do this all day. And I think like the the idea, like the conflation between like my like activity on OpenSea is like you know some like moral service that i'm providing to the universe and driving humanity into like the direction i want it to i just don't think that that's like think that's not the point of more, it right that's more a, honest that, about their involvement the everyone would be a little bit better off perhaps yeah i just Trump, wanted what, to add uh yeah, yeah on, i just wanted to add I, I think jack nailed it is like um it's just not the right lens to be looking at it from. I don't think that's what Moxie was doing, right? So I, I, to clarify, it's like, if you haven't read the piece yet, it's a very sober, like objectively written piece, right? He's like, he's not throwing stones. He's like, here's my experience. This are the conclusions I've drawn from it. 
And as, as Jack pointed out, it's like, you know, the thing that Jack pointed out where, you know, the whole point is that it is a bit of a JPEG casino. That's what the gold rush is about. It's like Moxie fully recognizes that. And I think, I don't I got to pull the line, but it's like, he almost, he almost necessarily kind of agrees with what you said, Jack. It's like, you know, this is where the funding, the money is going to come from. This is where the excitement to fund all this development is going to come from. And I think his perception of it uh, should not be taken necessarily as a criticism. It really just is a blow by blow of him saying, this is my experience with it. And this is the conclusion I'm drawing. And, and, you know, people are taking a lot of it to be like, he's being critical of it. And both sides get to use this as a, like, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, he's dunking on Web3, right? Like, oh my God, Web3 is murdered. It's like, well, that's just Jack, a YouTube yeah. title for this video. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Web3 is murdered. It's just <laughs> With like, the thumbnail. Yeah. <laughs> Jack already did the face. <laughs> but uh, no, is this the end of Web3? Uh, and uh, that's just not the purpose of what he did, right? So everybody's going to take what he wrote, which is literally just a techie dude, one of the most qualified cryptographic uh, techie dudes in the world, talk about his experience. And then the last thing I want to add was the funny thing he did, which is amazing. I'll share my screen. I mean, you guys obviously saw this. Uh, if uh, Bilal, can you do a screen share for me? Yeah, one second. Let me just add you. Uh, so the thing I'll be sharing for the listeners is uh, Moxie did something really cool. Is he made an NFT that looks different based on where it's listed, which marketplace is listed on and his own wallet. Cause he's trying to demonstrate that these are still using very web two technologies. So the TLDR is basically he can set the NFT to point to whichever server he wants and it serves up a different image. So uh, if Bilal can share the screen here, uh, if it's jagging, it's not the end of the world. Uh, okay, here we go. So basically Moxie created an NFT and it looks different because again, this is like what an NFT actually is. It's not actually on the blockchain, right? It's a, it's a URL pointing towards somewhere on the blockchain. So you can actually fiddle around and, uh, and have the servers uh, send you different images or show you different images. So for the viewers and then for the listeners, on the left here, he has a picture that you see on OpenSea. It's like this green clock looking thing. Kind of looks like a Jack Butcher piece, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, the one in the middle... Time. Is a is an NFT for rareable. So now it's a blue circle. It's a circle on a blue background, and then the NFT in his wallet is literally just a poo emoji. And <laughs> his conclusion is based on the mechanics of how NFTs are. Again, they're just like URLs pointing to places on the blockchain. Is like NF any NFT can end up looking like a poo emoji in your wallet, right? Which is hilarious. Um, and again, he's not being critical. He's like, this is what I did. And this is how it came out. I, th I thought that was a very apt demonstration. And again, people are like, oh, Web3 is murdered. Oh, my God. <laughs> In one of our first episodes, you had talked about uh, your famous verified NFT. Like you said, NFTs explained. And it was just a photo and then a photo with the verification tag. And you said that that was like capturing the moment in history, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why you were able to sell the NFT for a very large sum of money. Uh how much will Moxie's NFT sell for if he ever sells them based on the amount of hype that he created? And again, this guy's not about the cheddar. He could be way richer if he wanted to, but how much would that NFT sell for if you were to estimate? I think a good amount. I think those days of like pure, like mega mania are maybe coming to a close, but like, I think there's enough people that would try and prove a point. Oh, like the web that. two haters, like, like a Ken Griffin, Ken Griffin will buy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I think there's an interest in like, uh, 
it's probably like an interesting bid and war that would happen between the two sides because I think he's uniquely positioned in that like it's, it's not a commercial venture at all yeah. for him. But I think it could be a fair. That's a seven. A it's a seven-figure NFT. It's a yeah, seven-figure. I, I would think so. Just like um. Yeah, say it's like marks a very uh, poignant moment in the debate. I also, I, I'm also like, this, this is where like marketing terms like do us a disservice in a lot of ways. We always come back to this point. It's like, what exactly are we talking about, and what encompasses what? Um, you know, what does Web three refer to? What does it mean? And one of the things I was thinking about while you guys were explaining it is. The OpenSea example, like if that was a debit card, let's say, I think, um, I think what's at least getting people to think about new things to build is the, um, like the, yes, there are gas fees and it's an expensive network to use, but it is a very different dynamic than depositing money in and out of bank accounts, right? Yeah. It's very different than having like a Stripe merchant on your like attached to your business where you have to have a certain amount of capital and there are clearing times and like it really does change the way you would think about constructing a project like um and that's the nuance i think that once you spend a little bit more time in that world it changes things like and maybe there are ways to do that with um fiat like you know maybe you can like custody money and like hold it on behalf of someone and float them and advance and all of these different things. But I think the like crux of it is if you can create these way less, like these systems that move money around in a less without friction. And I don't mean without cost, I mean, without friction. So like if I can send money to you, even if it costs me 50 bucks, it's in a wallet, you can spend it instantly. You can send it to any address on earth and it's going to be there in 45 seconds for that next person to move it or, you know, do whatever they want with it. That doesn't exist in like a fiat system, right? So the, the ability to even like conceptualize products and ideas and tools around that idea, I think is what the people who are excited about and are advocating for web three are like, I think inspired by, I hope inspired by, but a lot of it ends up as like, hey, let's sell an NFT for a restaurant membership. It's like, <laughs> why the fuck do we need to do that? You know, like that's not necessary. But with like digital art, I think it is like a unique application for it where you want exposure to somebody's work in a way that has, you know, not been possible before. Like it's normalized the higher sale price of digital art, which whether you like it or not, that is a feature of this system, right? The idea that you're paired with this technology, digital artists have like, are now competing with some of the highest, uh, highest paid traditional artists yeah. in history. And this like mechanism has made that possible because the people who made their money, who made internet money through like their, very, very close attachment to internet culture want to like patronize artists that are internet native. So I think a lot of this is like way more of a philosophical debate than it is a technical debate and the way it changes people's minds around what they want to support, how they want to spend money um, um, with all the 
way in which our daily lives have changed even in the last couple of years. Like, what do you do for entertainment? And we know like sports gambling and whatever, not to make it purely about that angle, but it is, it has facilitated this new way for people to interact with one another, interact with things. And I think you can, you can rip it to bits as like, uh, you know, technically it would be, you could work faster or you could build an alternative that isn't quite the same. Um, but I think it's like a much, it's like a much longer arc for this stuff to play out than I think uh, people give it credit for. And it's a really, really huge amount of like social deprogramming around the idea of even like digital objects having value, right? That's something that people just largely, let's look at the, pull up the quote tweets of the Reese Weatherspoon uh, <laughs> recent tweet. Wait, wait, wait. What did she say? What did she say? She said something like, um, it's, it's pretty VCs funny. on Web3, the way she uh, their incentives it was, are different than yours. <laughs> uh, she should have written that probably, but she said, uh, where did I put it? I thought I sent it to you boys. Hang on. Uh, Unless she was forced to delete it. I actually did. I did see your link, uh, but the she's, tweet she, I, I saw that. Yeah, she's trending right now, so it's quite Wait, funny. did she delete so it? I, she, no, I don't think so, no, but no, she basically it. said like, oh, God, hey, God, everybody's going to have a digital identity in the future, digital avatars, blah, blah, blah. Are you planning for it? It was like a funny uh, last sentence on the tweet. Are you planning yeah, for this? So I'm just gonna read. It says, in the near future, every person will have a parallel digital identity. Avatars, crypto wallets, digital goods will be the norm. Are you planning for this? And uh, yeah, the quote, the quote tweets on this savage. are pretty a savage. Like there's so, a lot of people like this is evil. What the hell does this even mean? Like stuff like that. But then there's also obviously like the, oh, yeah. the memesters. Like Kobe's in here right now. See that? <laughs> uh, Kobe Reese, please. <laughs> Yo, this is but, savage. Ashley Vance wrote, "Someone is laying the groundwork for Legally Blonde 3. <laughs> oh god, Bro. that's good. <laughs> uh oh, oh my goodness, good. For, oh but, man, she's angling herself, right? She's 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 man, she's, she's taking the other side of the uh the the, the Dorsey trade. <laughs> She must be dropping a collection. Exactly. Too, no? She changed the old PFP last week to, to, a, to an NFT. Oh my God. This is what, I mean, this is what you talked about, man. This is like, this is like, Hey man, cool. You get a uh, free bread at the restaurant. It's like, come on, this is not what we were here for. Yeah. I but, think it's, I, I think like that's maybe where people are getting like frustrated with it. Now it's like banging into pop culture before it was just like nerds, you know, messing around uh, like, and now it's like, hitting financial markets and like your favorite celebrity is tweeting about it. And Matt Damon's doing his, like, you remember that, that crypto.com oh weeks. So I think like, I think a lot of people have good intentions as well. Criticizing it. It's like, this is really an underdeveloped technology and like telling retail investors just ape their like life savings into it. It's probably not the best. Like if you're coming into contact, with this the first time through like a Matt Damon commercial, it, it kind of gives an illusion that it's more developed than it actually yeah. is. Right. Or it's more of a, you know, man, if Jason Bourne is using this technology, it must be very <laughs> secure. <laughs> Wait, uh, Jack, the one thing I wanted to add uh, to your point was uh, a lot of the energy going into it. Uh, you know, it's a longer term thing and there will be a payout uh, presumably I think I think the broadband uh, telecom bubble that coincided with the dot com bubble is a very good example, right? Uh, I think telecoms raised close to a trillion dollars, laying literally just a fiber for broadband internet, and I mean a lot of it went to shit. 
a lot of it went to shit for non-technical reasons, uh, like accounting fraud. People were basically pretending that these capital investments are making digging out the ground and putting in wires was to be treated differently. So it made the company look better. So the, you know, that kind of your point is like, take away from, okay, what is the technical issues with laying broadband versus what are the other kind of social, financial, and, mm. uh, and social agreements around doing it. So the broadband has obviously paid off, right? It took 20 years and a lot of accounting scandals during that time, uh, but those aren't necessarily related. They're related in separate ways, but the technology itself can still work. It can still be developed. And, you know, we're going to see a lot of bullshit with Web3. We have seen it. But in 20 years, are we going to look back at it like how we look at WorldCom, which is the largest accounting scandal ever? Uh, they re- were involved in the telecom industry. Are we going to look back at that and be oh, that was kind of messed up. Uh, WorldCom, big accounting scandal, uh, bigger than Enron. But, you know, we also have broadband, right? Like, yeah. that's kind of like... Uh, that, I think that, that's that to a me, pretty good like comparison. Like- and the only thing I was going to add, boys, is that... Um, I think to build on what Jack said earlier, I, I think the the reason people have been excited by it, the reason Andreessen Horowitz said just raise another huge you know fund and a big part of that is going to be invested in this world. There's obviously some real stuff being built, right? And I think everything he said in the in the blog post is completely fair, and I think it was really fair criticism, uh, if you can even call it that. It was just observations, um, but at the same time. Um, I think it comes back to kind of like what Jack said there, like what's unique, like when someone's building something, the the stuff that got me excited, as we've talked a little bit about in the, in past episodes is stuff where I could just see straight away the benefit, like whether it's the DeFi and we're taking a bigger slice of the pie that previously went to a centralized entity and building something that is more lean to be peer to peer, which is quite a straightforward use case. There's other use cases, which you see can only be created because of the, the ability to add programming to money, essentially, right? So, like, you've something like an Alchemix, which is repaying, you know, loans that repay themselves, which sounds like a scam until you kind of look at it and you're like, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense once you get into it a little bit. Um, and also, like, these newer protocols where people are designing them beyond the technical side is is really designing them for how humans are going to interact with them, the psychology of it or the, the game theory of it or and um, being able to say, well, in the real world, in the physical world, we've got a monetary system that does X and we do we can change interest rates every few months, et cetera, et cetera. And instead with this, we can create something that is dynamic and is being updated every five seconds, right? So to me, that is where those use cases become interesting. But as kind of Vitalik even said in, in the last part of his post, these are just, a lot of these are ideas and the market will kind of decide, right? Like, mm-hmm. do people like it or not? And he was the one who even said that himself. Like, we will see. Like, he's not saying everything's going to be taken over. And I think that was quite a fair way for him to do it. Uh, yeah, to I, kind of wrap I, it up. I, I, I agree. I think, like, the barrier is more, as with anything, is more about, like, a social adoption than, um, like, how fast technology can move. And NFTs, I would say... Are the I think there's a Suzu tweet about it. Like they're the first like social phenomenon network effect that I think just unlocks a completely different um in the same way that like Facebook figuring out the distribution like 
via elite college campuses yeah. was like a massive, massive catalyst for the explosion of social networks. Um, this feels like, you know, and Facebook is not a like, I think again, it just gets into a philosophical debate. It's like, what is utility to who? Like it's all relative. And it's not just one, it's not like one thing for everyone. Every People want different things. Like there's going to be yeah. the hardcore developer who wants to run his own node, but for majority of people, they're going to want a Coinbase to log in with their face. And if their money is growing, they're going to be happy enough with that. So I, I kind of agree with like his point, but I also kind of disagree with in that I don't think that's necessarily a problem. And I think the word decentralization is kind of the issue here. It's like too broad a term. And and it like for something to be better than it is today by it being decentralized, that doesn't mean it has to be 100% decentralized and everyone's running it in their back, you know, their back garden with a note, like a server in the back. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's going to be a spectrum of solutions that kind of like are developed. Well, yeah, but the, I, yeah, gone. Sorry, Bilal, you finished your thought. No, 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 that was good. No, that was that was it. I was just gonna say, like we talked about in the last episode, I'm doing a like mortgage application right now, right? And the information I provide these people is like the most analog, crazy. Like, there's no authentication. It's completely based Fiat on application. Completely process. based on trust, right? It's like send us proof of this, proof of this, proof of this, which, you know under penalty of perjury, I've told them the truth here, but the idea that like you could say, connect like my financial history to this thing that is universally like readable and there's a history of transactions and the balance has been cataloged for X amount of time. I'm not saying that that's not something that we can accomplish without a blockchain, but there's like reason to believe that there's a better way to do it than it's currently done right and interoperability Definitely. maybe this entire experiment ends up in a completely different application that leverages you know the best learnings from each world but the, i guess the, the the problem i have with most of the commentary is just like it kind of it, people who are critical thinkers it's like why do why does like, why do you think you have figured out what the definition of this thing is? And why do like, why, why does somebody group certain subjects under a marketing term that somebody else invented? Right. It's just like, if you really get down to it, it's like, if the market doesn't want it, nobody's going to put any money into it and it will die. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. But that's not happening. That is the opposite is happening. The opposite is happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> there are literally hundreds dollar bills just lying around left right and center fiat fan is blind i'm just blind looking can't find anything everybody else is just patting their pockets yeah not to go to zero hedge on it but like go we've talked it. about this across all of our episodes but like there are there are like illusions that people have believed in for a long time that are breaking right like anybody that's not examined money in any serious way has really no idea how it works. And even the people who spend all day trying to figure it out yeah. still don't know how it works. And now you've got like these people popping up like, oh, we've come up with a new idea and we've invented a new money. And now we've got, you know, $200 million of liquidity trading on it on a daily basis. That's like, uh, 
it just feels like an idea that's not going to die. And there's going to be a lot of people um, taking advantage of that dynamic. And there's very few people that are like, um, very few people that are like have the patience and the, and the discipline to like build the longer term infrastructural stuff that is like really gonna, I don't know, what's, really what's, like offer utility, I suppose, is the uh, relative utility to like a wider group of people because utility selling JPEGs back and forth, that's utility to somebody. But isn't it, Jack, that's a good point. And I was thinking about this recently with the recent drops in all the markets, right? Like like to, to be, I think we were talking about this a little bit over in the DMs or something. Like over the last year, I'm just going to share how my brain has been working. I'm sure many people listening to this have had a similar um, like thought process. Like when everything is just going up so much and if that in proportion to your overall income, your general wealth, whatever you want to call it, is a significant percentage or a significant amount, it starts to really devalue the other things you're doing. And, and I, I don't know if I'm articulating that properly, but what I mean by that is, if if something goes up so much by me not doing anything, yeah, it is actually quite an it's quite a bad thing in a way because it starts yeah. distorting your. Why do I have to everything. work? Why do I need to build? Why do exactly. I have to put my nose in fine product market? Exactly, fit? exactly. So exactly what Jack was just saying there about those people building infrastructure layer, all that stuff. Like if they're looking over there and people are speculating and are making like ten times the amount of money. Not that money is the only thing that motivates them, but. In, in a lot of cases, that's obviously a contributing factor. It, it There needs to be a balance, right? And like maybe a little correction right now isn't the worst thing in the world if it means it kind of shakes out like the edges where people are just purely speculating, rugging people left, right, and center. And and even just again, like being honest here, like in the last few weeks, like a lot of people, you look at your numbers in your, your accounts or whatever you're using to keep a track of things. And you're like, damn, this is, this is terrible, right? And, and, it, and in a way, it kind of gives you a little kick and you're like, oh man, I need to go keep doing what I need to do or like building something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like- I'll be honest with you, man. That's literally what I was thinking last two weeks. I'm like, damn, I gotta have to build some shit. Like <laughs> this is not taking me to the promised land. Yeah. And if it is, I'm gonna have to wait, but like get back on the grind. So I, I know we're just gonna talk about CZ at the end, but I think you guys brought up such a great point. I think there's this, let's just call it what it is, right? There's a bit of envy. There's a bit of frustration of watching. So Bloomberg just released uh, an estimate for Changpeng Zhao, commonly known as CZ in the crypto community. He is the founder and CEO of Binance, which is the largest crypto exchange in the world by a factor of like four or five, right? I think they are do more volume than Coinbase, FTX, mm. BitMEX combined. Massive. Yeah but also massively unregulated, right? That that's part of the uh, argument around uh, Binance and, and you know what CZ's been able to accomplish. But they estimate he's worth 96 billion. And the meme that runs around is, he used to work at Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg, who built one of the greatest financial products ever, the Bloomberg Terminal, which just feeds you information about the markets, is worth like, I think $20 billion, $30 billion. So CZ, within the last five years, Binance is five years old, is worth almost $100 billion, right? It's unfathomable. And uh, 
I think we're going to talk about, we just mentioned it now, is Paradigm, which is a big crypto fund, and Sequoia, one of the top Silicon Valley funds in the world. Um, their former actually partner, Matt Huang, used to work at Sequoia, is often now at Paradigm. They invested in Citadel Securities, which does derivatives, futures, uh, options contracts, uh, founded by Ken Griffin. But that's a huge sea change, right? It's like, you're going to have this old, like the new money is investing in the old money. That's pretty crazy. Why? Old, what like the speculation is that like is that any does have does that have anything to do with the fact that they're like overexposed or I think uh well Matt Levine who we've talked about a lot here just his perception was a guy like Ken Griffin's like oh you guys are doing trading and CZ is worth a hundred bill Sam Bankman Fried's worth twenty bill I'm sitting here I'm only worth twenty bill like Ken Griffin's like I'm only worth twenty billion dollars these guys are having all the fun. I thought that's what Matt Levine's like. Hey, listen, we have everything in place. We can handle high volumes of trades. We can build derivative products. We can service institutionals. Why aren't we getting involved in crypto? That's I mean, that's as simple as that, right? It's like there's a gusher of money. Citadel Security is uniquely qualified to do the job of moving digits around and building financial products. So and so that's what Matt Levine's position. But the but the idea of, like this is just to to sort of signify their partnership, like or, or is there like I think they're going strategic... to start doing crypto products. I think they start doing crypto products. Right. And they need. I mean, wh- why I, I, why wouldn't they? If if Paradigm, if they're letting Paradigm, which is now the largest crypto fund, invest in just the oldest of all money market makers, right? Citadel Securities. If they're not doing crypto products. You know, I will eat a sock. If Citadel Securities is not doing crypto products in a year from now, I would just be completely in shock. Yeah. And 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 who's the market for that on their side? Like they're gonna. I bet just... then they're going after institutionals. That would make sense, right? They're going after. I mean, if you're Citadel Securities now, this is the first time they've taken outside money. The mm-hmm. first time ever. You're taking it from a crypto company. You're taking it from Matt Huang and Paradigm. That is this. What more of a message are you sending to the world? Like what? Yeah, what other crazy. message could you possibly be sending? And they like, like they they at Paradigm and Sequoia like they're basically buying distribution into like institutional exactly. books, right? Yeah, it makes total sense, right? So everybody wins. Everybody wins in this arrangement. So Joe Weisenthal, the Bloomberg reporter, another Bloomberg reporter, actually his headline was like, "This is this is the perfect investment for Paradigm." Like it, it just makes. All parties involved, it makes all sense in the world if we, uh, you know, extrapolate where crypto markets are headed. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, so FTX and Binance, we just talked about CZ, they make most of their money on derivative trades, not even the underlying, right? Because derivatives markets naturally can always be a multiple of the underlying asset because you can create all these type of derivative products, right? You can do anything. It's a derivative. That's literally the word. It's a derivative online product. I think... Sam Bankman-Fried said in the Invest Like the Best Invest Like the Best podcast that it's a ten to one, like a heuristic. Whatever the underlying market is, you can do ten times that in derivatives. Like that is like the standard. So like if you are Citadel Securities and you literally just do derivatives all day, you have the infrastructure, the employees, and the know-how to create derivative products. Has there been so, anything like this before? Do you think Trung? Uh- in like these two worlds coming together Unheard at this of, scale? Dude, having, I don't think so, right? Having a, a, a crypto fund invest in an old, like the old school market maker, like an exchange, 
It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, mad. Uh, well, um, boys, I think we can uh, move on to the next next one now if we want just to wrap it up. We're going to talk a little bit about NFTs. I'll just mention one thing before we talk about the new OpenSea competitor could looks rare. Um, Nas, the rapper, investor, someone we did basically a whole episode on him if you're interested how he transitioned from just a musician to an investor and he's had some amazing wins. Um, and he's kind of been tiptoeing around this world. Uh, wasn't he an investor in Coinbase, actually? Yeah. Sure. He was, right? So he's already been involved with this world for a little bit of time, actually. Um, but he was partnering with Royal, uh, which is a new platform. Uh, I think it's Royal.io. When I was reading this, I kept reading as Royale because I just watched Pulp Fiction. And I was thinking Chicken of Royale Royal. with cheese. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but essentially, he was auctioning off. Sorry, not auctioning. Uh, they're offering streaming royalty rights for two of his songs. So he just had a new album come out. And um, it looks like, to me, this is kind of a first of his kind um, in a way using actually you know, NFT technology, like Royal is a new platform. I think the founder is uh, Blau, like the three LAU, mm -hmm. the, the DJ and a few other people um, that have come from the, the crypto world as well. Or one of the guys I know, he's moved from Andreessen Horowitz there. Um, so this is quite interesting. I tried logging on this morning to to buy it and it was the, the yeah, website was, was crashed. So it was so much demand. It crashed the site. I'm assuming everything's already sold out. Um, but I just mentioned that because we did talk about this kind of idea in the past about people being able to buy and support musicians and being able to use NFTs to do that. On the flip side, I will say that there has been some criticism. Some people are saying you can do this already. You can go and buy like the rights for this already on auction sites and stuff like that, which I didn't actually know. Um, but I think for me, the, the thing is when you bring it into this world, there's just a lot more you can do with it. And you're also being in the, bringing the liquidity and a kind of gaming dynamic that we've all been playing around with in this world. So just something to, to have on your radar. I think it's quite interesting. But that ties us uh, perfectly into the last thing, which is a new OpenSea competitor. This is just really happened in the last day or two um, that's been really popping off. I know they've been working on this for some time. Um, I saw it on Twitter this morning because there was a Lux airdrop where you could claim uh, tokens, which you you can, which we've seen examples of in the last few months of ENS. We talked about in the podcast as well. So, Jack, I know you you were kind of looking at this a little bit. So, do do you have an idea like what is the background on this? And I think you had some you thought it was quite an interesting approach. Yeah, I've no, I I don't know much about the team that built it but like in the nft community we talked about this a couple episodes ago OpenSea has kind of had this like very tumultuous relationship with its community there were the insider trading things we talked about that there were the um like we're gonna ipo or there's speculation that we're gonna ipo they hired a cfo from was it airbnb or somewhere um lift 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 um so OpenSea has kind of diverged from the native Web3 narrative, right? They, they've definitely, and this ties into what we spoke about in the first segment of this episode is like, it's more akin to a Web2 company structure and ethos, but just, you know, the financial component of it happens on- They went Ethereum Hollywood. Polygon. They went Hollywood. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this uh, looks rare 
competitor to OpenSea is essentially, I think, a response to the the way in which the community has criticized OpenSea, right? It's like they're taking a 2.5% rake on every transaction and that goes on their balance sheet, right? There are you know services like ENS that have kicked back some of the revenue they've made to the users that supported the protocol. OpenSea is not doing that. Um, so this looks rare platform launched with that baked in. So again, I don't claim to know exactly how the like the intricacies of the tokenomics work, but they're taking the royalty payments from the transactions. It's a two percent fee, and that goes back into paying the users of the platform via this looks token, right? So yeah, in an open sea, when you're doing a billion dollars of volume. Uh, a month what's that two million bucks goes back to your community or is it 20 million sorry um so it works the exact same way as OpenSea, where you could buy and trade any nft on there and they're also like building some interesting new features i think maybe they're a little bit more nimble of a team um and there are little little tweaks in there that I think are more native features for the NFT community. So you can make a blanket offer on an entire collection. Yeah. And um, that will, like, that's going to push out to every owner of the, a piece oh, in that collection. Yeah, that's a and really so it's nice like feature, actually. Little things that, like, crypto and NFT native people have been thinking about. Not to say that OpenSea don't do a lot of research and are, are figuring this stuff out too. And also, like, supporting a ridiculous amount of traffic and transaction volume in the process. Uh, they definitely have the network effect, but from what I saw over the last couple of days on Twitter, there are some of like the bigger um, voices in the NFT space are um, definitely getting behind the idea of uh, looks rare as the de facto platform for um for trading NFTs, I think there's also, um, I should probably check this before I say it, but I read on Twitter, not on their site, that there is no, there was no pre-mine or like there's no distribution of tokens to the team. So this is not something that, you know, there's a 24-hour rug pull situation. They didn't um, want Jack Dorsey coming after them. They're like, we're going to do this right. Like, yo, we don't want Jack Dorsey on the radar here. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like what's interesting about it is like there is still like perverse incentives with the token because like if you're rewarding volume then maybe you're encouraging like yeah exactly you're encouraging transactions that aren't that wouldn't have otherwise happened um but again like an interesting response and like that's the other i think that's the other thing that's really a nascent and and narrowly understood phenomenon is like you can build a product on top of this data set that already exists, right? You can't fork Facebook and build a new UI for Facebook, but you can take all of the data that OpenSea is using to build their marketplace and make your own. And I yep. think, yeah, it's think amazing. Again, that's like another thing that, that maybe it was in that piece before, but these things are like really nfts ironically as like 
ridiculously stupid they look from the outside to a lot of people it's like it really has made this stuff tangible for so many people yeah, it's like given a reason it's, it's given like something to actually build around even if it's just like speculative jpegs right but like that could easily be like something else of value. Estate. it's gonna real be estate. Real estate, i was about right? to say how's it exactly but and and i was just gonna just add jack like i played around with it this when you shared it in a in a group chat earlier and i you know, within like five minutes, I connected my wallet. It pulled in all my NFTs from, you know, it's not actually, I think of it as being on OpenSea, but it's really right. on my my wallet. Connected address, to right? wallet, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. it's really a URL pointing at a place. Exactly. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's depending do Depending like on the NFT, depending on yeah. the NFT, you can't <laughs> make there bank are... statements like that. That's Lava true. lads, 100% on chain. Crypto punks, 100% on chain. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay. So okay. They'll exist until Ethereum ceases to exist. So there are... Um, you know, there are exceptions to the blanket statements. Hold on a second. I just want to add uh, a couple of things with OpenSea, which we haven't covered yet. They just raised uh, $300 million at a $13 billion valuation. Yeah, crazy. So uh, just for listeners, anybody that missed that news, they did, I think, $20 million in volume in 2020. Last year, they did $14 billion in volume. So they <laughs> a 700 times increase. Mad. And they get 2.5% of every transaction. 2.5%. Uh, and then already this year, I think there are two million, two billion this month. So like they're on pace for tripling, tripling or quadrupling uh, what they're doing. Uh, so let's say they do fifty billion NFTs this year, two point five percent. That's ten. Oh, it's a lot. It's a lot of money, people. Public math. Uh, public yeah, math. I, I think a bill. I think they're gonna make a bill in revenue, and then you do a uh, if you put like a SaaS multiple. Uh, no, you probably want to put a. Uh, Visa type multiple Market. of that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe call it 20. It's a 20, $30 billion company easily. Um, the last point I wanted to add was, uh, well, two points actually, because we talked about it in group chats, is uh, the Jack to your point of, you know, it looks silly to the outside. It's the Chris Dixon line, right? A lot of things start out looking like toys. Mm. Like eBay was with Beanie Babies. That's how it started. And then people are like, oh, you can create a marketplace on the internet, right? And then you start solving all the problems that that's related to that. Like, how do you trust the other side? How does eBay become intermediary? How do you trust payments? So like all those things get baked on top of what is really a game, right? It's a training game with Beanie Babies. And the other thing that you put in the chat, Jack, I love to talk about it actually, is the idea of Cobra effect. So the Cobra effect is, uh, is named after, uh, it was during uh, British rule of India, uh, the colonial officers basically went to a part of India and said, Hey, we want to get rid of cobras. We have a cobra problem. So if you bring us cobras, we'll give you money. So what it ended up happening, I don't know if this is apocryphal or how, how accurate it is, but it's called the cobra effect is the locals started breeding cobras so they could kill them and bring them to the officers and get paid. And like now, anytime that there's an incentive built and it creates a wrong outcome, it's called the cobra effect. Uh, before I hand it off to Jack about why looks rare might have a bad incentive. Uh, my favorite example of the Cobra effect is Domino's pizza. They're like, you guys remember this? If we don't huh. deliver you your pizza in 30 minutes, like you get it for free. Oh so yeah. What yeah. happens for those drivers? They're going to rush to the house and there's going to be some car crashes. Mm. So there's a case early nineties. Uh, I think it was DC, a, uh, a, a, a Domino's driver or the victim of a car crash related to Domino's uh, I think they're sued for $150 million, something crazy, maybe 90 million. Either way, they paid a lot of money and had to end the program. Perverse wow. incentives. So Jack, yeah. looks rare. No car crashes will happen, but why 
is the incentive perverse? So if you're rewarding people for um, the volume of assets they trade and you're not doing like this is a permissionless market, right? So I could have two Ethereum addresses and I could trade assets between those addresses. I'm going to pay gas on those transactions, but maybe there's some arbitrage there where if I'm doing a certain, and I don't know the, I don't know the percentages, but if I'm doing a certain amount of volume, then I'm essentially like generating free yield or I'm generating yield somehow. Um, and the only, like the reason I, um, came across it as I have a couple bots set up for certain collections on Twitter and I'm seeing stuff this morning, like the same asset is trading back and forth and the price goes up and up and up and up and up. Crypto funks. We talked about it the other week. Um, there was one just going back and forth this morning and I was like, wow, that's like a hundred times what those things normally go for. And it turns out like somebody's trying to game the system here. I'm, I'm almost certain that the guys that built this are smart enough to like have thought through this problem because the, the literature is pretty sophisticated around this platform. But um, maybe like, maybe there's something written to avoid that. Maybe if it's like a single asset, like you only get it on um, a single transaction or it's, it's proximate to the, like the value of the collection. I don't know. I'm sure they're, they're smart enough to to solve around it, but there's, I think there's three different um, mechanics for rewards. Bilal, did you see that? One is like you stake the looks yeah. token. The other is you can provide liquidity to a like looks pool on Uniswap. And then there's another one I can't remember, but I think, oh, you earn yield on, you earn e Ethereum yield by staking looks token and right now it's like what 700 percent apy yeah, i did it this morning yeah that's what I, dude yeah. i was literally about to say <laughs> your balal saw yield to spend four hours this morning like, yo how do i get that yield son i got I disability ready I, I don't got a disability i got disability <laughs> and you know what i genuinely i i because i didn't get that much like in the tokens because i don't have i haven't spent that much money on OpenSea, so it was like you know probably like 500 dollars worth of looks tokens at the price of today and the, the the gas fee alone was probably like over a hundred dollars right to do all this stuff right but i was like all right i'm kind of learning we're doing a podcast on it whatever if i lose it like whatever but you ain't losing nothing son no, you no, got disability disability for the staking no but then i was calculating i was like okay this probably isn't even going to make money given the fees but you got you got to be in the game anytime there's an option you, you got to be in there yeah i'm i'm it's just our principle. You got to do Indeed, it. You know what I mean? Man. You got to so, um, there for the start. And there's a few, we should share them in the group. There's a few like the people that have written like what? 15, 15 yeah, 20 tweets, tweets about their decision to, <laughs> to uh, commit like 500 grand to this uh, yeah. token. I'll share one in the description. Um, we won't read all of them. It's a moon cat two, eight, seven, eight, incredible <laughs> name. First of all, um, putting a significant amount of money, but they call out a lot of the differences. There's like a comparison, like for example, OpenSea has 2.5% fees, looks raised 2% uh, on basic sales, zero on private sales versus OpenSea. Um, then they kind of talk about the tokenomics. And one thing I will share, um, let me pull this up here, which is the allocation. I'm just gonna share my screen so people can see the visual as well. So you can see here the tokenomics of the allocation. So. Unity. 75% to community, 12%. And within that, the breakdown is 12% airdrop, 18.9% staking rewards, 
44.1% trading reward. So I think those were the two. They uh, literally just took the criticisms and just exactly. flipped it, right? Very smart. I mean, brilliant eight positioning. Mile. Which is, which is kind of a great example yeah, or argument. Yeah, eight mile, <laughs> but also just an argument for, you know, like there's direct competition being made because it was so easy to fork and basically create a platform like this. I mean, I'm sure it was still not simple in terms of like setting it all up. But um, but yeah, really, I mean, this is like capitalism, you know, like people can put something out if people like it. Listen, if you gonna, got disability, you're going to you, get paid. You're going to get that airdrop, son. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, like we're talking about the, uh, so the last thing about the OpenSea guys that we didn't mention, they're the first NFT billionaires. They were 2.2 each, the co-founders. So there you mm. go. They flex yeah. disability for the last four years, man. You don't know how much Jack stashing. I wouldn't be saying the first easily. <laughs> definitely the first. They're definitely the first. Got a few. Got a few lava lads set up. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, clicks um, sorry, to bricks it... like this mansion, son. Mm. <laughs> um. Anyway, so I think that was worth calling out. I mean, again, we don't. I haven't done that much due diligence on this. I just literally read the thread today. I don't know who the people are behind it, but it well, seems I was already like... made a million dollars. He's like, yeah, I read the thread for five minutes. Uh, <laughs> it felt right uh anyways That's guys it. uh nice recording this but uh i'm retiring yeah exactly um but so um anyway anything else jack on on looks rare before we close out don't think so great episode guys oh yeah. that was fantastic love it all right boys i think that was it i think we we hit hour 15 at least so uh but we can call it here um anyway thanks again for being there this was a heavy edge of the internet crypto web three whatever you want to call it nowadays yeah. episode so if you like that let us know you can join us in the telegram group if you're new here there's a link in the description below you can click that and join the group chat where we've got uh, about 1200 people that listen to podcasts and people sharing stuff in there so definitely come into that and if you're listening on audio only make sure you go on youtube and also subscribe because you can watch all of these visually as well so let us know what you think in the comments on there as always and, and we will see you next week on the next one. Peace. Thanks, guys.